Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Um, I must say, thank you, God, for giving me the support of, I think it was 10 or 11 women. I've never been in a meeting where one-third of the meeting was women. Ah, thank you, God. I'm so grateful. I have one sponsee in Pittsburgh. I've only been here five or six years. You see, I grew up in essay in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Uh, some of you might know Sylvia J. She is my sponsor and one of my very best friends. That woman has nurtured me through many situations, including caring for and the death of my mother. I needed her so much for that. So it's good sponsor. Thank you. Um, I want to share with you my shame story. I've had shame for a long time, and I didn't realize the depth of it and how much it pervades my life until about three or four years ago. So I want to share with you not only my shame messages, my shame story, but what I am doing now as well as in the past to deal with that and to deal with the defect of perfectionism. They're very closely tied. What I need to change are my habitual thoughts, words, and behaviors that shame pervades. Shame almost feels like it controls me. I found the word shame in our wonderful meditation books. Thank you if you've been on that committee. Uh, that, was, that is such a wonderful book. It just gets me between the eyes, as they say, every time I read it, just about 25 refer- references to shame and often associated with guilt, shame and guilt, shame and guilt. But those two feelings are very different from each other. I don't know if you know the definition of fear. That is um, false evidence appearing real. And my shame messages are definitely false evidence appearing so real because I have the strong emotional reaction. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Guilt is about what I do and what I say. Guilt is learned about the age of seven when we have a sense of conscience. And when I make a mistake, that is guilt. And when I make a mistake, I can correct it. I can make amends. I can apologize. That is not shame. Shame is about being a mistake. I am a mistake. That is my very identity and what I value most are being threatened. And that is my sense of peace and my self-respect. Guilt can attack those two, but shame does it at a much deeper level. And we don't learn, I've learned from experts, we do not learn shame when we reach the age of reason. We can learn shame from birth until three. And before you're two or three, you don't, you don't have words. And when I don't have words, I just have this feeling of discomfort, of dirtiness, 
of unworthiness. Uh, something's wrong with me. And as a child, I'm very self-centered. Children are very self-centered. And so I just feel as if my whole world is being threatened. <clears throat> Shame makes me want to run away, hide, or put on a mask to pretend I'm better than the way I feel. And that's kind of leads to perfectionism. My parents and my religious background started my shame messages, totally unconscious, I'm sure. They were just trying to socialize me. So I would be a very compliant, nice little girl. Um, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, it became painfully obvious that I was doing the very same thing when I heard my mother's words coming out of my mouth with my own child. And I was ashamed of that and, and very sad and, and yet felt so powerless because I didn't know any other way to, to parent. I didn't read any books on parenting when I had my child with me. I just did what my mother taught me or the opposite. My daughter even asked me one time uh, about why, why do I have to be perfect? Why don't you let me make any mistakes? So I was shaming my daughter because she wanted, I wanted her to be perfect just the way I needed to be perfect. My earliest shame message that I can think of very directly, a direct form of shaming, uh, was when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And this is a shame thing that I did to myself. My father insisted, and I tried to get out of this, but he insisted that I go to the local grocery store and buy him two bottles of his favorite beverage, which were alcoholic. Uh, when I walked home, I was very angry and upset and scared walking to the store just a block away. But as I walked home with those two bottles of Genesee Ale in that brown paper bag, I remembered vividly. I thought the whole neighborhood knew what I was doing and were condemning me as well as my father. Another shame scenario that I remember is one Christmas, Goodwill came to our home and brought food and toys for us. For I have two younger brothers. And I remember feeling happy to see the food and the toys, but very ashamed. I was ashamed of being poor. I was not sexually abused or assaulted uh, directly, you know, overt sexual abuse. I think there was some covert sexual abuse in my family. With three different encounters with adult males. And I never told my mother, I never told anybody about those three encounters. I, I had enough wisdom or I got enough guidance from my higher power to stay out of those situations, to not repeat them again. But I wondered, why did I not share that? And I think, again, that was shame. I took on the shame of those persons. And I also think it, it um, limited my thinking that sexaholics were all males, that there are no women who are sexaholics. So when I entered program, I was not going to do it for myself. My first meeting was for my ex-boyfriend. I was going to fix him so we could get married. Great thinking. As a teenager, I was very defensive 
with my mother, my father, with teachers. I, I just really had a very difficult time with criticism. So I looking around my world, wh- what could I do to avoid this criticism and to feel equal to? Well, I decided that I could excel in school. I could work hard enough, take enough classes, you know, and be a good student. So I became a knowledge junkie. And I, my thinking was, you know, this is totally unconscious, but I had the feeling that if I knew enough about something or I knew about everything, uh, that I would be able to control it, change it, at least avoid criticism and that feeling of unworthiness. Well, it helped me get to college, <laughs> helped me be a great worker. I mean, I worked so hard. I had a boss that once said, you need to stop preparing, stop organizing, and start doing the job. Well, um, I was married, had a child, got a divorce. And uh, part of that was uh, my acting out, but also because we were just incompatible. We were two kids. But anyway... After um, the divorce, my daughter went to visit her dad, and he ended. He, she stayed with him for several years. And by that time, this was six months after the divorce. And I remember talking. I was going to therapy at the time. And I remember feeling and thinking that I was a total failure because my identity was not in my profession, which is what men usually do, that my husband did. My identity was a wife first and a mother, and I was now nothing. I had those, those jobs were gone. Those roles were totally gone. And so I felt as a failure. And the addiction was one way. This addiction and my other addiction, I have two primary addictions, were the ways that I could avoid being aware of that, to compensate, to comfort, to distract myself. And when I would act out, of course, I would feel shame because it violated my moral code. And that shame fed my addiction. It also fed the defect of perfectionism because if I felt like a piece of garbage in one area of my life, I was going to overcompensate to balance myself out. We're always seeking balance. And I have a sponsor that talks about balance a lot. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. Shortly after, um, let me see, I, I was in my addiction active for about 15 years. And finally, in the mid-80s, I found a 12-step program. Not SA, another one. I've actually been in three programs. And one night, the um, leader of the meeting said that we were going to have a topic. We were going to have a topic meeting, and the topic was shame. And I remember distinctly thinking, why are we going to talk about shame? That's a waste of time. I don't have any shame issues. Ha, ha, ha. Well, they would read and they would share and they were telling me my story. So I cried through the whole meeting just about. Uh, so I had a lot of shame issues. I didn't do anything with it. I didn't even talk about it in my step work. It just, it was just there. I, you know, I have no idea about it. And I didn't think of my perfectionism as a defect. I thought that was the way I coped. And that was the way I coped. So I finally got into SA 
just about this time, because one of the a couple of men came into our meeting and introduced themselves in that addiction, as well as being sexaholic. So I went to my first SME in 1986 for my ex-boyfriend. Well, I didn't stay very long. Didn't think I had this problem. And a couple of years later, um, I was on a business trip out of state and acted out with a man that I'd never known, just met him that day, because I was sick and I wanted to be comforted. Is that a crazy reason to act out? Mm-hmm. I was sick and I needed to go to bed, but I, I just could not stand the thought of being alone. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know where that came from. But that's part of my shame messages. I'm so afraid of being alone. By the way, that's a past tense. That's one thing that has been relieved for me. So I went back to Oklahoma City and talked to my, my uh, therapist about it. And she said, you have a choice. You either go to treatment or you go to SA. So I went to SA. That was kind of difficult. But you see, there was a person in, in the meeting that I had acted out with. And he was quite willing to do that again. So I had to um, take some precautionary measures. It has taken me decades to realize how deeply shame pervades my life. And that perfectionism was my unhealthy way to deal with it, compensate for shame. So I want to tell you a little bit about what I do now. And maybe this would be of interest to other people. Program have taught me more effective ways to fill that God hole, which shame just opens up tremendously for me. You know, that feeling unworthy, alone, afraid. Boy, there, you know, when I read the problem in the very first meeting, I identified. And that for me was about shame. Maybe I'm just seeing everything through shame issues or through threats, through through that particular defect. When I have a spiritual awakening, and I think this, this was a spiritual awakening for me to realize that I needed to deal with my shame, um, I've been able to develop more self-respect for myself and respect for others, more love for myself and love for others. And just to be comfortable being in the world, that is so, that's just so important. Instead of being either in drama or depression, you know, th- those were my two modus operandi. I was either going to have a drama, exciting, crazy life, or I was going to be depressed. So what I have learned is that I need to have boundaries with myself and others. I need to have a self-care plan. I need to understand and learn, and I have in program especially, the joy of giving, the joy of service with no expectations. And I've also learned to be able to laugh at myself and my little addict or shame self, whatever you want to call it, or ego, okay? And I'm still in the process of healing, and that's why I put that back in 1992, I put that as part of my email address, my initials and healing. And it's present tense. I am still in the process and it will go on till I die. So let's talk about what are the physical symptoms of shame. For me, they are a blushing face, a churning in my stomach. I might get sweaty palms, 
I have a racing heart. I put my head down and I might even cover my eyes. And I've even seen that in um, some, I don't know where I, some talk I saw about that. And I have a strong urge to hide, to run away, or to put on a mask. Now I run away either physically or through one of my addictions to compensate for the negative feelings. So those are some of the physical symptoms that I'm aware of. And then I have a category, I've got a list of here of ways that I shame myself or ways that I have learned I've gotten shaming messages from my family. So I'm going to read all 14. See if you identify. I feel bad about myself even when I've done a good job because nothing's good enough. I don't like being alone with myself. I look to others to make me feel better about myself. I need others to affirm my self-worthiness because I don't feel worthy. I'm uncomfortable with compliments. I'm very sensitive to criticism and negative feedback. I can't do it perfectly, so I procrastinate because it could be too difficult or impossible or overwhelming. If I make a mistake, I'm a bad person and I feel worthless. I use words like um, I should, ought to, have to, must. And um, I do a lot of shouldn't on myself. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that. I still, I have to talk back to that one a lot. I think in terms of right or wrong, black or white, there is no gray area. I like things to be clear. What a fallacy. I keep very busy to avoid myself. And part of that is I'm going to fix you. So that's not helping. If you really knew me, you'd reject me. Or the child in me says you'd abandon me. Sometimes I hate myself. And, in, and I need to control in order to feel safe. I don't know if anybody has ever heard the uh, acronym for shame. S-H-A-M-E, it means should have already mastered everything. Should have already mastered everything. So now I want to share with you how I use the 12 steps to heal my shame and perfectionism. Step one is the, the inventory of my shaming messages and how I experience shame physically. And what this does for me, it shows me my powerlessness and how my life is unmanageable. And some of the, the way, some of those messages are actually per, perfectionistic demands. I see them as that part of the perfectionism. Step two is I list the traits that I need a higher, that I need from a higher power to become trustworthy and to be more powerful than my shame. So I may need to recreate, uh, come up with a new concept for God, or maybe my current concept is fine. My current concept is adequate, but initially I had to change my concept of God. It was definitely male, and it was definitely a big guy up in the sky, separate from me. Right now, it's the, the force and the power and the strength that dwells within to do what I, ego self, cannot do. And it is, a, it, it is the feeling of love and strength 
compassion, just all those, all those wonderful spiritual principles. That's what God is for me right now. Step three is to pray for the faith. You know, the, the spiritual principle of step three is faith. I was thinking of trust or willingness, but it's faith. That means I have to have the strength to act. Faith is about acting, even though you'd have no idea what the consequence will be. So I pray for the faith to squelch my fears enough to trust the process of investigating my shame and my perfectionism. Oh, boy. (laughs) Step four is I describe the way shame has been evident in my life. That is my thoughts and behaviors that cause problems for me and the others, as well as the positive effects of shame, if there are any. So that's a, step four is about shame. Step five is I share what I've written with a trusted person or a sponsor, somebody that is, is, has hopefully has dealt with their shame. Step six and seven are about perfectionism. So this is where I'm going to do an inventory of the cost or the negative effects of perfectionism and then some of the benefits of perfectionism so that I will have the willingness to face it, okay? Step seven is to explore new ways to talk about perfectionism that I gain acceptance and the, will, and the humility to let God remove that defect in God's way and in God's time. And that's my prayer. Thank you, God, for my addiction, for this trigger, for whatever thing I'm struggling with. That is my gift to God, not my assets, but my defects of perfectionism. Thank you for taking it in your way and in your time. So I'm not dictating anything. Those, that's, what, that's the key right there. In step eight, that's about forgiveness. I love that we have that step eight and a half. I have created three letters. The first letter is you have to deal with anger, resentments, disappointments, hurts, wishes, and sadness. And you start out, there's several different ways you can take. One of the ways I do is I, you start with anger. Don't start with sadness. You start with anger. That's a top. I've been in therapy where that was the top feeling. I came in angry. And I say, Ang, I am angry because I'm angry that I'm angry when, uh, but just any other, these are all different aspects of, of that feeling. And I'm going to write this letter to anyone or any institution that shamed me. The last person I want to write this letter to is myself. I want to do everybody else first. Okay. So I get out all those negatives. And then I and I share that with my sponsor, with the person I shared with him at step five. The second step, the second letter, sorry, is what I write. I'm pretending to be the person to whom to who I wrote the first letter. I'm pretending to be that person. And I they are going to give to me, I'm going to give to myself rather, an apology and taking responsibility. So I'm going to pretend I'm that other person and I'm going to thank myself for sharing that first letter and I'm going to take response and I'm going to apologize for my actions and I'm going to take responsibility. And maybe part of that is that letter might explain some of the um, background of my life, this other person's life. And the third letter is a gratitude letter. You're going to thank this person for being honest, being 
uh, taking responsibility and apologizing, and maybe even share some of your hopes for the future. Now, that second and third letter is, is really important if this is a person with whom you want to have a continuing relationship, if you want reconciliation. You do not share these, you do not send these letters to anybody. You don't share them with anyone except this trusted person. That The whole purpose is to cleanse yourself of the anger, resentment, disappointment, fears, and sadness, to get it out by writing it and sharing it. Step nine is making living amends. And for me, the living amends involve the three A's. Awareness, acceptance, and action. I'm going to continuously allow myself to become aware of what I'm doing, of what I'm saying. And I'm working on that right now in therapy, becoming aware of my negative speech and my negative thinking. Of course, the thinking and the speech are together, and I I wasn't even aware of some things that I was doing. And then I have to accept it. And this is part of the step work, you know, (laughs) I have to, that, you know, we talk about come, come to, come to, come to heal. Um, and then action on taking the action of writing or sharing. And all of this is to accept that I must be willing to take at least one step when I become aware that I have a problem. One, and I, I pray for this. God, teach me or tell me what's the next thing I need to do to deal with the situation. And I'll share 10, 11, and 12 later. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Francis. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Trisha. It was a gr- very great share. I, I I, was telling myself, it's me, it's me, it's me, for, for every uh, single uh, sentence you were talking about and thank you thank you it was very great and i need to hear the voice of this meeting again and again and uh, i know that i will achieve many things um, out of it and i had a question you you mentioned that you uh, you had some boundaries with yourself Can, can you elaborate more elaborate on that and what do you mean by having boundaries with myself can you, can you give us some examples on that? Well, you Thank learn you. boundaries. A first boundary I learned when I came into SA were the sexual boundaries. You know, uh, I have a food, food issues. I need boundaries about food. Uh, I have boundaries about what I'm going to tell myself about myself. So those are actually, you know, am I going to allow to keep saying I'm stupid when I know I'm not? That's a boundary. That's it, boundaries about self-respect. What makes me feel bad in the sense that I don't respect myself? You see, I think respect is the foundation for love. Um, you know, in a relationship, I, I lost, my husband lost respect for me. He lost the love. I lost respect for him. The love was destroyed. So I see it as a matter of self-respect. What are the things that I need to do that I can live and hold my head up? Those are my boundaries. You know, as a child, I didn't have parents. My parents gave me no boundaries. So I, I, so I gave my own boundaries, you know, perfectionistic boundaries. <laughs> they were choking me. They're killing boundaries. So I want, and, and sometimes boundaries need to be flexible for me. 
Because if, if it's too strong, I'm going to rebel. I am. My addict is very rebellious or my inner child is very rebellious. She needs to be gently nudged. That's why we have a step program. We don't have a one jump over Mount Everest program. It's a step program. And it's one day at a time, one minute at a time sometimes. Thank you, Tricia. Thank you. Thank you, Moeen. Rain, please. Thank you, Tricia. I could uh, very much relate, especially with the wanting to hide and put on a mask, um, run away. And I was taking lots of notes, but I, I, I didn't keep up with, I'm, I do a lot of writing and writing really helps me. And I wanted to understand your three letters. Can you go over that again? Who you write up to and then have the person write back. Okay. The first letter is I'm writing to the person who shamed me or the person with whom I have a a disagreement, I have bad feelings, anything negative. You can use this for anything. I just use it. I'm just talking about shame. Okay. You have unresolved issues. It can be with a dead parent. Okay. And then you start, you start out with anger. You see, I've got it. Mm -hmm. Um, Anger, disappointments, resentments, anger and resentments is next. It's, It's going to go in from the anger is on the top. Resentments, disappointments, hurts, wishes. I wish that it would have been this way. And then your sadness. Grief is the last issue. And I actually had a therapy group that took me through all of those things. So you're going, the first letter is to this other person or an institution that shamed or abused you in some way. The second letter is you pretend to be that other person and you are going to write a letter of apology and acceptance of responsibility. And the third letter, you are thanking them for taking responsibility and apologizing. Okay? Good question. I appreciate that. Thank you, uh, Tricia. Judson, over to you, sir. Thanks so much for what you shared, Tricia. Quick question. I think Um, we know each other in the past, Judson. I wish I could see You'll see me at the next conference, probably. This oh, okay. open. Um, so the quick question is, um, how do you deal with intrusive, shameful thoughts, which are, you know, which might be consistent and frequent just over and over and over uh, that maybe you hear from a parent or something like that? Yeah, I have those, (laughs) a few of those. The first thing I don't want to do is to be angry about it. Don't get mad at yourself. Don't condemn yourself. This is old thinking. This is, this was, I see, I had a therapy session in which my shaming image was a witch. And she had fingernails that were about 10 inches long. This is the vehicle that kept you from getting into trouble. This is just a part of myself that wants to keep me in line so I can survive, so I can be accepted, okay? So it's, bus- it's gone to an extreme. It's misunderstood. So see it, deal with it as you would a, a fearful child. And so you want to be gentle with this, and you, can, and you want to use humor. So I say, oh, that's interesting, Hmm, I wonder where that comes from. 
oh, mom, mom did the best she could. But you know what? I got a better plan. So and use and you can also say, well, isn't that cute? You think I'm going to be happier if I do this? Um, Or, you know, just I have to talk back to it, but not with anger, not with resentment, not with perfectionistic, not this rigidity. So I'm going to use humor. I'm going to use gentleness. I'm going to use compassion. And like a nice parent, I would say to myself, it's okay. It's okay to be, as a matter of fact, one of the gifts Sylvia gave me was, she said, because I was being perfectionistic and working the program, she said, when you make a mistake and you can admit it, because that's one of the things I don't want to admit I made a mistake. I got to make excuses, you know, I get all tense and anxious about it. Then you'll get an A for being human. So give yourself an A for being human, Hudson, just because you've saw it, you're aware of it, just to be aware of it is the beginning of taking it out of yourself. You are not your shaming messages. You are not that condemnation that's going on. You are a beautiful child of God. Thank you, Tricia. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Uh, Raquel. Hello, I'm Raquel. I'm sexaholic. Um, I really appreciate your share and thank you very much. I I relate to everything you said uh, very much. Um, uh, I should have taken notes, but um, I would like to ask you uh, how you feel now and if you only worked the shame in SA program and and only if this in this program you you are feel so better today thank you um the thing that trisha said was i feel relief and then she actually paused um it wasn't just the connection so that was a really strong statement from my point of view okay uh, thanks nancy you know what can i make a comment in the meantime go ahead It was so nice to reconnect with Trisha for me after many, many, many years. Um, I believe it was in Madrid, Spain, international in in Spain. It was so nice. And I really appreciate the impact she's had on my life. She gave a talk a long time ago um, where I wrote one word for all of the steps. And that might be something I can ask her again in the future. But I'm hoping she comments on this. 10, 11, and 12, I'll get back to that later. So that's what I've got. Thanks, Nancy. I feel good. I feel, especially when I share about the shame, because it's, it's um, and I'm working with a therapist right now to get more into my negative thinking. Um, one of the examples was, instead of saying, um, will this work? I say, well, this won't work. So, you know, and I'm just becoming aware of that in the last few months. So let me see. It says your video is stopped. Let me see if I can. I don't know how to, st- I don't know how to start the video. So. Well, can, we, okay, can hear you. Next. we can hear you. Okay, Luke. Oh, is it me? Yeah. Yes, you're next up, Luke. Okay. Uh, Trisha, I hope you can hear me. Thank you so much Hi. for your talk. Um, I heard you mention covert incests or covert sexual abuse, actually, you said. Um, I I had overt and covert sexual abuse from 
two female family members. And I would like to ask you, there's a big echo now. I would like to ask you what's your definition of covert abuse or covert sexual abuse. Thank you. And you're on mute at the moment, Trisha. <laughs> you can't do it perfect. <laughs> Thank you. I, I can stay later if you need to, um, if or if you want to. Um, covert is not, there's no touching involved. It can be a look. Um, for me, what I think of is my father was a cursor. And he would, when he was angry with my mother, he would use sexually demeaning words. And half of me is my father and half of me is my mother. So when my father would cuss at my mother or put her down in any way, he was putting me down. So that's one way. Um, you know, and in my family, luckily, there was one incident of a distant uncle uh, that wanted to hug inappropriately or uh, I had one of the three incidences was uh, I was babysitting for this family. And then this father took me home. He was asking me questions about my boyfriends and he wanted me to move closer to him. So those were just, you know, little things. And I knew immediately that I was uncomfortable. Stay, I'd never, I would never, I would refuse to babysit anymore for them. Or maybe they didn't ask me. I don't know. I was about 13 or 14. It's very subtle. If you feel uncomfortable or dirty in that sense, that's a sign of abuse of some kind. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you, Trisha. So just again, just to keep people reminded, we're in questions to, to Trisha at one minute per person. So, Nate, you're next up, please. Yes, I'm Nate. You hear me? Yeah, I'm Nate Sexaholic uh, from New Jersey. First time at this meeting, and I absolutely love it. Thank you, Trisha, for your share. Uh, really a hit on for me. Um, almost everything I do, I'm 23 years old. Almost everything I do in my life is subconsciously with shame, like through shame. And that has a lot to do with my upbringing. And, you know, but my question to you is on the flip side, is there any benefits of shame is there any time when shame is appropriate to have uh, when you violate your moral code yeah when you harm another person when you harm yourself acting out shamed me i violated myself i violated my moral code i disrespected myself i remember crying in in the act and saying, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And, you know, it just, it's just one more thing that I'm powerless of. One of the men in program said to me, you will, the first thing you'll surrender in the program is your addiction. And you spend the rest of your life, this is step six and seven, surrendering your defects. And admitting that I'm human, and I, have, I, can't be, I can't play God anymore, I'm not... It's impossible. I'm setting up. It's you, shame sets you up for an impossible situation. That, that's it's like spiritual, emotional, physical suicide. You know, people commit. I was suicidal, um, and it, I didn't want to live anymore. I di I didn't want to be in this body because I hated myself because I was doing what I didn't want to do, and I was powerless. 
thank God I finally got into program. Okay, thanks, Tricia. Payam, please. Yeah, dear friends, greeting from Hamburg, Germany. Here is Payam, sex and loss addict. And I thank you so much for letting me share and especially ask this question. I have a, I have a special question. Um, is uh, the 12 promises happened to your life already? Oh, thank you. yes. <laughs> yeah. The, when I came into program, what I heard, one of the promises is the fear of a financial insecurity will leave us and we will know peace. I think it was. Is that what it is? Anyway, I thought it said financial insecurity will leave us. Well, that did happen. God bless <laughs> well, I, I had the fear of financial insecurity. Yeah, and that was part of the perfectionism, too. You know, I have to always have so much money in the bank. I can't do it. And, you know, I'm going to deny myself now because I just don't know what's going to happen because I had to have control. Shame for me was very much about control. So, yeah. And um, my, I had a relationship with my mother when she died. Before that, we were decades lived. I've moved 1,500 miles away from my mother because I didn't want to be like her. And I didn't want to be near her because I felt like I was five or 10 years old in her presence. And I have a relationship with my daughter, a very loving relationship with my daughter. She puts up with a lot of me. <laughs> and I'm trying to be a better mom, better human with her. So, oh, all the promises. Yeah. And, and just because this one day at a time, you know, I get new awarenesses of promises. So God is doing for me what I could never do for me, like giving this talk. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Tricia. And Claudia, I think it is. Where is she? She's on the phone. You have to unmute Claudia. Star six. Asterisk six from you. There we go. Yes, yes, Claudia. Hi. Yeah, Can go ahead, Claudia. Me? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your share, Tricia. I really could relate to everything, and it was so good to listen what I'm feeling and to to say it out, to hear it to to when you say it out loud, to get more conscious about what's going on inside of me and yeah. Um I want to ask you if you would say that shame is also a character defect I can treat it like like a character defect no no it's not shame is a feeling feelings are one word if you get into more than one word you're into thoughts shame is a feeling perfectionism is the defect that shame triggers see my mm -hmm. shame triggers my addictions and shame triggers my perfectionism. How am I going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling so mm -hmm. icky. That's, that's mm -hmm. what I said. But no, it is just a feeling. It's a feeling. Mm -hmm. That's, that's all true. it is. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. why it's in the physical body. I talked about the physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can feel it in every cell. <laughs> uh, you remind me, I want to share one other thing about perfectionism, it, I know it's still with me because I took on a job at my church, treasurer, and um, I developed TMJ. 
I could barely open my mouth last fall. And it started coming back this spring because I was making a demand to be able to do this job that I had very few qualifications for. So the perfectionism, and I worked very, very hard, and the harder I worked and the more frustrated I got, the tighter my jaws got. So I still have it. But I'm now, I've turned that, instead of being frustrated with it, it is a spiritual challenge for me to pray, meditate, work on. So that's why I've gone back to therapy. Mm-hmm. Therapy helps, okay. and, you know, and just talking about it, getting it out. and Oh, this is what, and the, I went to this specialist, this dentist. He said, yeah, this is all emotional. I don't mm-hmm. have any structural damage. It's just, I'm just tight. See, perfectionism is tightness. You know, it's mm-hmm. ugly. Mm-hmm. That witch. <laughs> and see, you're laughing. That's good. That's what you want to see. <laughs> you want to put it in its place. It's a scared child in a co- in a Halloween costume. And for me, it's a witch. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I feel smug yeah, about that. <laughs> That's great. Thank mm-hmm. you, Tricia. I can identify with that because the part of the country that I live in is famous for its witches. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Witches witches are not just women. (laughs) So, again, thank you very much, Tricia. It's been great, that share. It reminded me of something that I was told by an old-timer and my therapist who said, shoulda, coulda, woulda equals waste-a-timer. Oh, thank you. Okay. Okay, so it's been great sharing. Thank you. So this has been the I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to the Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.